Welcome to the Overcoming Monday podcast, where we provide you little secrets for your big breakthrough. This podcast is designed to enhance your emotional and spiritual health, and our mission is simple, to help you understand yourself, the people you love, and the world around you so that you can win where it matters most. Your host is writer, speaker, mom, and pastor's wife, Shari King, and this season of Overcoming Monday is brought to you by Mission Grill. It is literally my favorite new restaurant in Anderson, South Carolina on Highway 81. It is incredible. Think Mexican street tacos, fresh, organic, and delicious. I go there at least three times a week. This season is also brought to you by The Clever People. For all of your real estate needs in the upstate of South Carolina, if you're looking for a new home, if you wanna buy some property, if you need a place to rent, or if you just wanna look at all the available properties and dream about what it would be to live in Anderson, The Clever People. They are your people for your real estate needs. Okay, let's get started on this podcast with your host and my wife, Shari King. All right, Sharon, um, thank you so much for being here with me today. We're, we've had a lot of technical difficulties, <laughs> so I want to thank you for your patience. I pretty much got up super early and reset up all of my internet connections, and I'm using all this equipment that I'm learning how to use, so... You have been so patient, and I really appreciate that. I mean, I would be doing worse. Like, that's like a guarantee. Mm. <laughs> if I was trying to record on <laughs> Zoom and run all that, it would be a hot mess. So, Well, hopefully all this is going to be perfect and great. And our producer, he is actually on vacation. So that's why all mm -hmm. of it's in my lap today. Um, but we've got like five different backups going on. So. Yep. Yeah, we're good. Hopefully, not today, <laughs> Satan. Not today. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> so um, we met a little while ago in um, Malaysia, but honestly, it was such a like fast meeting. It was such a hurried trip that I feel like maybe it was just a high and by type thing. Um, yeah, we, I can't remember. And that was before Ike and I were married. So that was twelve years ago, right? Maybe? Yeah, it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I think when Clayton told me that I knew you, I kept feeling bad because I was like, how, how do I know her? And I thought mm -hmm. you had come on the trip with us originally. And I thought, I thought it was just me and you, you know, I was counting all the mm -hmm. people and he said, well, yeah, she didn't really come with us, but she was there. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that yeah, how me. I was at the summit church. So we had like a group of college students and we somehow overlapped with your group. Yes. at some point with Jason um, and then, Dustin and then that made sense but mm -hmm. I was like I don't I feel like a terrible person was she the only other girl did I ignore her the whole time <laughs> no well I, I honestly couldn't remember if we'd met like I felt like I had met you mm -hmm. but I couldn't remember actually meeting you because yeah. it was a long time ago and we were all in a different time zone on the other side of the world so who Good. really knows well, then I don't feel bad at all. But no, don't feel bad. <laughs> but it's been really fun to kind of like start mm -hmm. to connect with you. We had a great lunch not too long ago. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to see if you could just introduce yourself to my Overcoming Monday listeners so that they can know a little bit about you. Um, I'd love for you to talk about your family and specifically about like your degree and how you're using it now and what mm -hmm. you and your husband are doing. So 
all of that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm from Charlotte originally, born and raised. And I, I think when we had lunch with you and Clayton, I was telling you guys that the first time I ever heard Clayton speak was when I was 16 years old. And you guys were almost married or newly married, something like that. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anyone do an altar call was that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I was raised in a very like formal Presbyterian church. And so I just remember it very clearly. And it's fun how our paths have recrossed. It feels like every decade and a half, apparently, is like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to try and stop that now and just see each other regularly. Um, But yeah, so I went to Duke undergrad, majored in religion. And then I, after I graduated, felt called to ministry, but really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And so I moved back to Charlotte and worked for a year for Proverbs 31 and just was an intern. Back then it was really tiny. I think there were five people on staff Mm. and I was just the intern. (laughs) And so I learned a lot about ministry from Lisa Turkhurst and just traveled with her. That was my introduction to speaking and traveling and just what all that entails. But at the end of that year, that internship, realized that I really wanted to get more education. I wanted to go back to school. And so after that, I went to seminary. And that is where I met Ike. And we got married. And then after seminary, I spent a little bit of time doing college ministry. But then we both decided we wanted to get more education. And so we both got our PhDs from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School outside of Chicago. And it was there that I did my doctoral research on why evangelical women go to seminary. Wow. Because not many... Have I told you this before? No. I mean... Oh, I haven't? No. Oh, what? Okay. I'm so interested. Um, yeah. Well, I, I noticed... At Duke, the the gender ratio is pretty even. There's mm. it's pretty evenly men and women, but at Trinity, it's not that way. And so I was really curious. I wasn't raised evangelical, and I was curious about that. And the more I looked into it, I learned that nationwide, only about a third of MDiv students. That's the for anyone that doesn't know, that's the degree you get in preparation for ministry. Only about a third were women, but with evangelical women, it's much, much less. Hmm. And so I was really curious about the evangelical women who do make the decision to get formal training for ministry. What encouraged them to make that step when so few women do? Hmm. And I thought if we could answer that question, then we can encourage more women to get training and to equip themselves for ministry. Mm. And so that's what I did is I traveled to different seminaries around the country and talked to women who were getting their MDiv and basically just asked them to tell me their life story. And I was looking for common denominators, but it was, it was such a great project because Mm. I was just sitting and listening to people's story of calling And it felt like I was getting this sneak peek of these women that God was raising up to, you know, lead in his church in various capacities. And all the seminaries I went to were actually pretty conservative. They were Mm -hmm. all, none of these women were training to become pastors. They were training for 
you know, women's ministry or children's ministry, but still were being equipped by their church or by their, like there had been a pastor that had said, you should go to seminary or I see this in you. And so it was a really inspiring project. Ike's project, his was on, his PhD was in theology and it was about the doctrine of illumination and the gospel of John with the reading through the help of Karl Barth and St. Augustine, mm. which sounds like I would die. Like <laughs> <laughs> I can see the connections for real. Um, like he would, it's a he lot. would just sit kind of in the library basement and read book after book. Whereas I was going out into the world and talking to women. And so it was just, I prefer my project. <laughs> mm-hmm. No kidding. I would be so interested in that to read that. Yeah, so maybe so you still was, have it. You can just send it my way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I've, I've been really thankful because most dissertations don't get read. They just are done and then they get put on a shelf somewhere or in a database and they never see the light of day. But because of the nature of my dissertation, a lot of people ask to read it. And it is, it's kind of a beast. Like I tell people don't read all of it. Like there's no reason to read all of it. Just read like one or two chapters and that is mm-hmm. it. Like you hundred percent don't need to read the beginning of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's really been cool to share the research and how it's also, it's changed me in terms of how I think about cultivating the gifts of other women and Mm. how to do that and my role in that. And so that's been really beautiful too. Yeah. That's really neat. I actually, have you heard of Carolyn Custis James? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Man, I, I was turned on to her because, um, I can't remember what was the first book I read, but I just started reading all of her stuff and her story. So I've done a podcast with her mm-hmm. specifically on Ruth because she loves that subject, mm-hmm. but she loves women overall. And so yeah. her story is so beautiful because I remember she, she basically said, when I got married, my husband said, asked me, so what do you think your purpose in life is? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, I mean, I'm married, you know, have kids, all that. And you don't have many husbands, I think, who look at specifically, I think in a ministry marriage and look at their wife and say this to them, but her husband looked at her and said, I'm not your purpose. So you need to figure out what your purpose is. So then she said, she pulls out the Bible and she starts searching deeply for what is the purpose behind God creating women Mm -hmm. specifically, like what Mm -hmm. is a woman's purpose biblically apart from even a husband, you know, just why are we here? And yeah, why did God make us? And how does he see us? And so she just mm-hmm. started diving into that. And mm-hmm. she, she just, so she's written all these books. Um, when life and beliefs collide. Yeah. Um, I think I've read some of that and half the church, half the church is so mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and she just basically talks about, you know, we were made for a purpose. It wasn't can, it isn't connected to who we marry or what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It can't, I think they coincide, mm-hmm. but, it, but women aren't created specifically for a man. They're ma- they're created for God. Right. You know, or, right. You know, exactly. And, like, and so I think that's just beautiful because it's, a, it's, it really caused her to found who she was in who God is and not in who her husband is. So mm-hmm. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. 
I'm glad you got to interview her because she's awesome. I know. I wish I could meet her in person. That's one of my goals one day, just to like be able to sit down and actually talk to her like Mm -hmm. face to face. Yeah. I have some questions I'd love to just hear (laughs) from her. Um, So tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now um, Mm -hmm. and a little bit about your family. And I just realized I didn't unplug my fridge. So I just go ahead and start. I'm going to unplug the fridge and come back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Is it like buzzing? Yeah. So after we finished our PhDs, we moved back to North Carolina and my husband was working as a pastor during that time. And while he was pastoring and finishing up his PhD, that is when I started writing books. And so I did that and was speaking a lot more But it was interesting because during that season of our lives where I was speaking and writing and he was being a, he was a college pastor, he kept saying, I feel like we're supposed to do something together in ministry. And I would always stare at him kind of blankly because I didn't know what that could look like. I was not working at a church. He was working at a church. I couldn't see him leaving the church to do something else. And I didn't see myself being a pastor. And so I just always sort of nodded and was like, okay, that's nice, honey. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But around after we were at that church for a few years, he was starting to feel like he was ready for something new. And we started praying about taking a job at a new church. And then in the middle of that interview process, God intervened and completely interrupted it and gave my husband a vision for planting a church in Durham. Mm. And we are not vision people. Like we are not people that casually throw around the phrase God told us, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just not how, that's not our style. And so for him to come to me and say that was really jarring. Wow. And I think he thought I would just say, okay, because we also, we have a lot of friends, I'm sure you do too, who've planted churches mm-hmm. and it's very hard. And we thought, well, yeah, we can cheer for them and we can pray for them and we can support them financially. But you know, that's not our deal. We're not entrepreneurial. We're not big risk takers. We're not hype people. Mm-hmm. And so we just thought God would never call us to that. And so when God did, or, or rather when Ike came to me and told me that. I said, well, let's pray. Let's ask for confirmation. And then that's what happened for months and months and months. God just sent confirmation until we finally realized this is what we are supposed to do. So we specifically felt called to plant in South Durham, the South Point area. And we began recruiting and and all of that. But in the lead up to that as well, Ike kept coming to me, you know, about what, what my role would be in this church. And I, at that time in the summer before we launched, I was writing my second book. We'd also just had our third child. We had an infant and I was still traveling and speaking and it was pure insanity. And so Mm. I kept saying, I just don't think I have a role. Like I will support you and I can volunteer, but I I can't really commit to a ton. And he kept saying, I think you should be a pastor at our church. And I said, that comes with a lot of responsibilities and expectations and you've seen my schedule. And he said, well, 
I think you should be a teaching pastor. We'll give you the title of teaching pastor so that there's boundaries on it where mm. people know this is the pastoral role you're filling. You're not, you're mm. not doing pastoral care, you know, that sort of thing. You're just a teaching pastor. But he also said, and did, I, did we tell you the story at all when we hung out? I can't remember how much I, I told you. I think you told me part of it, but I don't, I didn't, I don't think you told me the details of like how you came into what you're doing. Yeah. So another reason, and he, he was kind of actually using my doctoral research against me and some mm-hmm. like the findings of it and just the importance of like role models in cultivating the gifts of women. But he said, you know, we live in, RTP, we're surrounded by Research Triangle Park, we're surrounded by three major universities. Like our church is located equidistant from Duke, UNC, and NC State. Mm. We have women here who are professors, they are doctors, they are CEOs, they are attorneys, they are leading in the workplace. Mm -hmm. But in the local church, there's no one that they can look to to see what does it look like to be leading? You know, Mm -hmm. what, like, what are spiritual categories for what it means to be a Christian woman in leadership? Mm -hmm. And so he felt like it was really a matter of stewardship for me to model how to be a woman in leadership in the Mm -hmm. church. And so he really pressed me on that. And I, you know, and so now I kind of joke whenever people ask about me being a pastor, I just tell them that I'm submitting to my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's good. But uh, yeah, so we, we came to that and it's something we get asked about it a lot, just our convictions about women. And we're very, you know, we we were at summit for a long time. Ike worked for JD Greer. JD's still a really close friend of ours. And mm-hmm. so we, this is not for us an issue that we divide over. It's, mm-hmm. this is our conviction. This is what we draw from scripture, but we understand that people of good faith and a commitment to the authority of scripture come down differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that, that's how we, we arrived at it. And it's really, I'm sure you have had this experience, but I'm really glad I just did what my husband asked me to do because I love it. Mm-hmm. Like I love it more than traveling. And I love I love going to other churches and speaking specifically to women's ministries and mm-hmm. seeing how God is using women to serve the women in their church and you you see it's like there's all these little lights all over our country and all over our our world and only God can see all of them. But when you travel and you speak, you get like a glimpse of that. And I love that. But you also don't know those women. You don't know the conferences you're speaking to. You don't know their stories. And so you're not really shepherding them. You're, you're not watching their, their growth, any of that. And so in a local church, you are. Yeah. And so I really love, I love that local church preaching context just so much more than I ever imagined. And it really felt like this is something that God created me to do. And I wouldn't have known it if my husband hadn't pushed me to do it. Yeah. And so that has been such a wonderful, wonderful gift that Ike has given me. Yeah. And so we were doing that and just plugging right along. And then we heard of something called the coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> 
And now you guys are trying to deal with technology just like me. <laughs> trying yep. to figure and out it's the worst. Yeah. Hey, Overcoming Monday listeners. Have you ever wanted to experience the Bible up close and personal? To not just read about the Sea of Galilee or the city of Jerusalem, but to actually be there? Trust us, it's unlike anything you've ever experienced before in your life. And you have the opportunity to visit the Holy Land in May of 2021 with faith-based expeditions. Shari, alongside author and speaker Sharon Miller, will be leading a woman's-only tour of Israel that is going to blow your mind. We'll be going from May 18th to the 25th in 2021, and spots will fill up super quick, so make sure you grab your seat at faithbasedexpeditions.com and enter the code WBS521SK. Again, that is faithbasedexpeditions.com and enter in the code WBS521SK. Shari can't wait to experience the Holy Land with you and make sure you sign up before it's too late. So I want to move on to the top. So this uh, season is about the top three and I have top three questions for you. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to ask you or just kind of resonate with you for a minute. I think that Clayton and I have been ministering to students for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And one thing that is usually very common is that you mostly have male youth pastors and mm-hmm. that's not necessarily bad. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times youth pastors are young, so their wives, you know, they're having kids and their, their schedules are extended and the wives are involved to an extent, but they're just overloaded. And, right. and so I think that they can do a certain amount of ministry, but not, I don't think that there are enough female leaders within student ministry. And mm-hmm. I think that's unfortunate because I believe that at least this is what I thought when I was a student. My youth pastor is a man and he understands the Bible. And because he's a man and he understands the Bible, I pretty much need to believe the things that he says because he understands it and I don't. And so mm-hmm. from that, there was something in me that knew the Holy Spirit could speak to me and could also understand that the Bible was written in a way that I should be able to understand that God will help me. But I also didn't know, I didn't, I don't think anyone showed me that a female can almost understand the Bible without a guy telling her whether what she's believing is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that just growing up in an environment like that, where there were not female leaders in my Mm -hmm. environment, caused me to almost believe that, almost second guess what I was learning, unless I talked to someone else and they said to me, oh yeah, that's right. And, and I, and I think that researching is good. And I think finding out if what we're believing is true, but I don't think that's based, has to be based on gender, you know? So I think that for me, that was what I learned in my um, church environments growing up and even in college, I think to an extent. And, and then I just started seeing a lot of students as we started ministering, just especially females feeling like they couldn't learn about God on their own and they couldn't Mm. almost even make decisions on their own. So say you have a girl, a young girl in a relationship with a guy in high school, right? And Mm -hmm. she's told the guy needs to lead. Well, you would not believe how many conversations I had with girls who were in relationships where they were, there were ungodly things going on, Mm. but they were like, well, he, he's my spiritual leader. Yeah. 
Yeah. But he's not, this is not in charge of your faith. Like (laughs) he's not in charge of your faith. He's not even like, he's a teenage boy. Yeah. And (laughs) and you're not even married. Like this is the, this is dating is the period where you figure out if they can be a spiritual leader. Yeah. Yeah. And And even then, like, what about women who don't get married or can they Mm -hmm. get a job and follow Mm -hmm. God on their own? Or what about a single Mm -hmm. mom who has the situation that she never asked for? Can she, exactly her family? And so I think that these are, are things that systems that have been set up by the church that people don't think about about the practicality of it. Mm. Can women actually hear God? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And, and can they know truth without someone saying who is a male. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's true. I affirm that, you know? And Mm -hmm. so for me, it's really interesting because I, I am drawn to study scripture. When I create a message, I talk to my husband about it. I want to know his opinion because I trust his opinion, you know, Mm -hmm. but my, my foundation is not does Clayton believe this or not. If not, I'm throwing it out. It's Mm -hmm. more, is this, does this line out with line up with the entirety of scripture? And so, right. I, yeah. yeah. So I just think that sometimes our foundations are like what we've seen and become used to mm-hmm. can form, you know, even how we see God, or even if we're able to understand mm-hmm. the Bible or theology or like so many mm-hmm. women say, well, theology is for men. Well, okay. What nope. if your husband <laughs> dies? Like, I'm not yeah. trying to be mean, but like, I had, my husband Mm -hmm. traveled a lot when we were first married Mm -hmm. and if he had died, which he didn't thank the Lord, Mm -hmm. but if he had died on a plane, I would have been expected to raise my children and to lead them well Mm -hmm. and to to train them in godliness. That would have been my responsibility at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when we don't help women know that they can do that or see that they can do that. We're actually robbing them of so much power in their faith. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. That's a great point. I know I'm resonating with you. All right. So anyway, uh, something's really cool. Uh, we are hopefully going to do an Israel trip sometime. (laughs) I know. Uh, together. So I wanted to tell anybody who's listening, if you are interested in going to Israel, we are hoping to go in 2021. Right now, the dates are in March, but I think we might have to change them to May. Mm-hmm. Um, so if y'all are interested in going with me and Sharon, you can like check out our social media and we'll definitely announce it when we feel like we have a good date <laughs> and mm-hmm. a good time that we think will yep. work. So yep. I wanted to mention that. Um, and then let's go into our top three because we've had a great intro, right? This has mm-hmm. been really good. Yeah. But let's talk, talk about our top three. So I want to ask you, um, I know that church planning for you and I have been a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of almost snorted. That was funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it also involves risk. And I know you guys are also still on a journey. But what I would say is like so far in this church planning venture that you guys are on, what would you say your top success has been? Like your top advice that you would give someone else who's trying to do this as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I think one of the things that we've done well is create a church that people can come and heal and feel safe. One of the things that we've discovered, and I really did not 
understand this going into church planting because I have only ever had really wonderful experiences with the church. Mm-hmm. I like every church I've been at has just been wonderful and mm-hmm. I've, I've not sustained any significant wounds from the church or from church leaders. But one thing that I'm coming to grips with is that, especially here in the Bible Belt, where everyone grows up in the church, you know, the church is the culture, Christianity is in the air, is that there's a toxic underbelly when Christianity is cultural. And there's a lot of woundedness from people that were hurt by churches or hurt by Christians. Mm -hmm. And or just are disillusioned with the way their church growing up talked about the world or narrated the world or explained why hard things happen or bad things happen or why the way that they talked about sin. There, there's just a lot of baggage. And so we have not really even intentionally, but created, we just get this feedback a lot from people is that they feel like we aren't speaking in spiritual cliches Mm. that, and and that's kind of the, we don't have this anywhere on our website, but one motto that sort of guides me and Ike is we think of our church as being thoughtful about faith, but passionate about Jesus. And we feel like we have been at churches that sort of leaned one way or the other, where it was either very passionate about Jesus. It was very much about the experience of Sunday morning and the experience was this big high, but didn't always feel like it was going real deep. Or we've, we've sometimes been at churches where it was very contemplative or, you know, going deep, but the love for Jesus wasn't there. Mm. And so we really wanted to hold those things together and be really careful with our words and sensitive to explanations that maybe we were, we grew up receiving about the world and realizing this is either hurtful in the way that it's articulated or it's just not biblical. Mm -hmm. And so that has, yeah, again and again, we hear from people who say, I can, I feel safe at your church. I feel like you're talking about faith in a way that I've never heard before Mm -hmm. and we trust you. And so that has been really a huge win for, for us. We've, we've really been thankful that God has used us for that. Mm -hmm. So if you were, this is the next top, top advice. All right. Mm -hmm. Are you Mm -hmm. ready? Like you're going to change a lot of people's lives right now. (laughs) (laughs) If you were going to go back and just start new Mm -hmm. today, Mm -hmm. picking the whole pandemic thing out of it, because that's Mm -hmm. just, I mean, how do you give advice for something that you, no one knows what we're doing here. But if you were about to start a church again and church plant, what is the top advice that you would give someone who is looking into doing this? Mm -hmm. That's a hard question to answer because church planting is very hard and it's very messy. And I was recently listening to I guess Louis Giglio was maybe being interviewed by Carrie Newhoff on mm-hmm. his podcast. And he was telling the story of their church plant, Passion City, and how he had gone to Andy Stanley and said, we want to plant a church. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he kind of like laid out the whole vision to Andy. And then at the end of it, Andy looked at him and said, are you sure? <laughs> 
And he said, you know, Louis, you've kind of arrived at where most Christian leaders want to be. You know, mm-hmm. you're successful. You have this huge conference you host every year. You write books. You know, you're popular. You, you travel and speak. And this is where, you know, a lot of people would love to be. And even though building passion has been hard, he said, this will be harder. It will be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. Mm. And so just know that because you, you could just enjoy, you know, like what you already have. And so he said, Louis, Louis said that he just listened and was kind of, you know, tried to receive it, but just nodded. And and I think he kind of thought, yeah, but like I have all these connections and, you know, fundraising and, you know, this will be different for me than it is for most church planters. Mm -hmm. But he said in hindsight, Andy was exactly right, that it was Mm -hmm. the hardest thing he's ever done. And I think that Ike and I went into it with similar, similar optimism where we've both been in ministry for a long time. We both have all this education. You know, we planted in an area where we had pretty deep roots and it just kicked our tails. And so I say that not to discourage anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I Unfortunately, I was talking to another pretty well-known author, speaker, who is praying through discern, discerning planting. And I described church planting as <laughs> death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> and But that was before she told me she was, plant, she was thinking about church planting. Oh, wow. And um, I was like, I take it back. I'm sorry. Like, I that was an exaggeration. Um, but it is like, it's very humbling. And I think you have to, if God is calling you to it, you must do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you must obey. But don't do it because you think it's going to be glamorous. You know, don't, don't do it because you think you're going to be the hero. Do it knowing that you, God is, this is going to be a, a monumental instrument of your humility. Mm. That you will be humbled again and again and again and again. And humility is always for your good. Yeah. That it is never something that we should fight. It's always a gift that we can receive, but humility hurts you know, in the meantime. And so just to know that, to know too that there are so many days where you have to persevere Mm -hmm. and hope in God Mm -hmm. because it feels like failure is going to be the end of your story. And you just have to have this holy imagination that what is happening today is not the whole story. And so it, it really, you, you just have to kind of know that like going into it, that it is going to be very hard. And for that reason, also to take really good care of yourself and your marriage to Sabbath, like don't mess around with Sabbath. You have, you have to have a Sabbath and to have boundaries where you on your Sabbath, you don't talk, don't even talk about work. It's not just not working. It's like, don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Like just enjoy God and the gifts of God have boundaries on your evenings. You know, when the workday is over, don't talk about work, you know, Mm -hmm. don't think about work. You really need to just be present with your family. And that's been really important for us as well as having those boundaries. But yeah, it's, it's hard, but the hard is not a sign that you're failing. The hard the heart is a sign that you're church planting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And honestly, all the things that you're saying 
with church planting, mm-hmm. I feel like um, should be characteristic of all of our relationships with God, you know, where we realize that life is hard and suffering mm-hmm. is hard and, mm-hmm. but they're not bad. They're monumental and they transform us all. But I think the hard thing about church planting is that you feel like you're carrying the weight of other people too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's, it's hard. I, I know that my kids, I think sometimes um, don't maybe have a realistic idea of how much Clayton and I work because we work from home and we're doing mm-hmm. ministry. And so I think that it seems more fun and glamorous maybe than it really is. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're like actually having conversations with Jacob about getting a job and what jobs look like and how much money, like how money has value and all these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're just, our boys are kids, but mm-hmm. it's hard to explain the value of a dollar. It's even harder to explain the value of a dollar when what you're doing is ministry and investing in yeah. people because yeah. people, um, I think either take advantage of it and expect you to just do everything or they don't understand that that phone call is you working. It's you ministering. It's that lunch that you're having with someone or whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. It is work, mm-hmm. but, but it's a calling too. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, but it's an output. It's an output and it has yeah. to come from somewhere. And if you're not filling up that well, then even if it is just a phone call, even if it is just a lunch, it's putting, you're, you're draining out, you're (laughs) taking out of yourself, you know? It's true. I think that ministry sometimes seems a lot more, like easier than it is, but there have been times that Clayton and I have looked at each other and just kind of said, wouldn't it be great to just work at Lowe's? Like you go, (laughs) you do your hours. I'm not downing a normal everyday job. I'm just saying, you yeah. do a job, it's completely yeah. come home and there's mm-hmm. not a lot of like mm-hmm. uh, interpersonal connections in mm-hmm. your, in your emotions yeah. and in your soul yeah. and in your like desires and your heart. Like it, it's mm-hmm. hard to do what you said to separate mm-hmm. those conversations, mm-hmm. to stop yeah. the conversations when it's time to have family time because some people who you love feel like part of your family and part of you. And so mm-hmm. yeah. separating that is very hard. Well, and I think too, I did something I I did not understand until church planting is just how much Satan hates the church. Mm. And that when you lead a church, you stand on the front lines of that battle in a way that you don't in any other way. And I think that is the intangible difficulty that is hard to articulate or really even understand unless you have experienced it. And I'm sure you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. but there is, there's powers and there's principalities that add this extra heaviness that is really difficult to disconnect from. And, and it can be really easy to forget that even that's why this is hard. Yeah. There's a, there's the emotional weight of it. There's, you know, it's relational, it's personal, but there's also this invisible enemy that is trying to take you down and you feel that all the time. Yeah, you're right. All right. Last top. So this is my, it's a top ask. So I'm trying to give you a platform here to tell all of these people how, you know, like for a church planner mm-hmm. to be able to feel the burden of what you feel, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm hoping mm-hmm. that like from this question that people who don't understand what it's like to be a pastor and maybe to be planning a church mm-hmm. that you're speaking into 
maybe helping them understand. So this is top ask. If money wasn't an issue, what would be your big ask? What resource do you wish you had? Maybe it would even be, it doesn't even have to be like a physical resource. It could be, you know, people, friends, you know, I don't really know Mm -hmm. what it is, but what is the one thing that you think right now? Like if you wish you could have it, Mm -hmm. that would like make your quote job easier, you know? Yeah. I wish we had more staff. Mm. That is the, the big challenge right now. And we are very fortunate. We have, let's see, I just formally went on staff, like paid staff this month, actually, uh, mm. up until now I wasn't paid. And so we, we currently have four paid staff, which is actually unusual for most church plants our age. Uh, So we've been really fortunate to have a paid worship leader, a paid assistant, and then my husband and then me. And so having staff as opposed to volunteers, it, I really underestimated what a difference that makes because with volunteers, there's just things you can't ask, mm-hmm. you know, it's just too much. And you really need to protect your boundaries with your volunteers. But with your staff, you, you still want to protect your staff. You still want to guard them and honor their time. And you want to have a healthy culture where you're not overworking them, but it is their job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're going to get a different level of commitment from staff than you get from volunteers on the whole. You know, there's yeah. exceptions to that. And so like right now, you know, we wish we could hire like a, a staff person who was our video production person. Before COVID hit, we really wanted to hire a youth pastor because mm. we're kind of in this like in between right now where we don't have a great resource for our high schoolers. And so it makes it tough for families with high schoolers to join our church. Yeah. And so there, that would really, and and I think that is the difficulty of the early years of church planting is how much you rely on volunteers. And sometimes volunteers just don't, they just bail. They just don't show up. You know, they say that they're going to be there and then they're not there. And with staff, you just don't have that problem. Mm -hmm. But you know, that, is it will change. Like we'll, we'll keep adding staff as we grow. It's just an in-between thing. But I, I think that is probably one of the early struggles. Like we had talked recently. I know you guys, you guys are friends with Derwin. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. And, um, he's, he was like, the early years are just hard. There's just no way around it. You're just sort of like paying your dues right now is the way he described it. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree. I mean, I don't, we don't have a, well, Clayton's pastor at New Spring, but mm-hmm. we never started a church, but starting mm-hmm. a ministry has, mm-hmm. you know, it has similar, what you're saying feels very similar. Like Clayton mm-hmm. and I weren't paid at all by the ministry at first when we mm-hmm. began at all. It was pretty much, we put something on and we just split the money, you know, mm-hmm. and then we tried to survive from day to day from his speaking events. So there wasn't, <laughs> and there weren't, weren't staff to depend on. It was just, gosh, let's just work our tails off to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. And then what was interesting is hiring staff and then having to tell them, look, we think this is going to be your job, but your job may fluctuate. And we may mm-hmm. be redefining your job a lot as we're starting because we're young and mm-hmm. 
you have to reevaluate. So are you okay with that? Like we're yeah. hiring you for this skill, but it may be that you have to pour in in other areas too. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we need you to know that that can't be a thing that you resent. You have to be mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, yeah. okay with that. And, yeah. you know, and I think you still reevaluate job descriptions and make sure that people understand what it is. I think that's a good leadership quality to have. But when you're, when you hire someone and then it's like, we pretty much just need you to do everything. Yep. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. That's a yeah. hard job description. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause it, and that's, that's what ends up happening to so many people in ministry is you're hired for, you know, 20 hours, but you work 30 or 40 yeah. and we really, Ike and I, don't want to do that to our staff. You know, we really don't. And we, we don't think it's fair. And, and some of our staff, they want to, you know, they want to serve the church. They love the church. They love our people. And so there's kind of a dance where we're trying to reel them in and say, you're only getting paid for this. You know, we don't feel pressure to work more than this. And then them saying, no, but I like, I believe in what we're doing, which we're grateful for. But, um, yeah, ministry it's it's messy, but in the those early phases, your stuff is constantly being tossed back to you. Is what yeah. happens is you'll kind of with volunteers, you'll you'll give someone you know a responsibility, and then it's either a good fit or it's not, and then it gets tossed back to you. And after a while, that is is really exhausting. Yeah. But we we also the thing about it that kind of the picture that I think of is getting a church up and going is a lot like moving a locomotive, like you pushing it, like you're standing behind it. And you're at first when you're pushing it and it's just like not moving at all. And you're like digging your heels in, and you're like, you know, sweating and grunting and you're like trying to get this thing to move. And then maybe it starts to like budge just a little bit. And so you start to get it moving and maybe the more you get it moving, the more it, it gets easier to push. And then ultimately, you know, with like a large, large church, the locomotive has its own momentum where Mm -hmm. it's almost difficult to stop it. Like if there's something unhealthy and you need to intervene, it can be the church almost has like a life of its own. But in that early phase where you're pushing to get it, it started, it, it feels almost like you're not moving at all, but it, you can see the movement though. Like we can see the movement and that's so gratifying as well to know that we've you know, really just busted our tails and God is using it. You know, God is, is working and and he's on the move. And this pandemic has not, our church has not missed, skipped a beat. Like we, I mean, it's been hard for us personally, but our church is doing better than ever. And so God has been faithful. And, and that, and that's the other thing. I mean, I've, I've painted like a very bleak picture <laughs> No, I, think, but, I just take it as you being realistic. And that's what yeah. the questions are. Is like, mm-hmm. And that's the point of this podcast is overcoming Monday. Like, yeah. let's talk about the mm-hmm. hard things mm-hmm. and know that things are hard, but then mm-hmm. also know that there are like, first of all, God's our hope. But second mm-hmm. of all, when we actually look at the hard things, we can mm-hmm. discuss it, but mm-hmm. there's a way to overcome and there's a way to even mm-hmm. have a different perspective. So I think when mm-hmm. you say the things that are hard, we're preparing people for the hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So they don't well, want the rug pulled out from under them. Yeah. And I will say very often when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, it is because 
I have put something on my shoulders that was only God's to bear. Mm -hmm. And God, what we have seen again and again is that God gave us this vision for Bright City Church and he is accomplishing it. Mm-hmm. And we just get to be a part of that. And any any sense of stress or, or overwhelm has either been because we've taken on stuff that God has said, that's not yours. Mm-hmm. Or we've been in bondage to what will people think, mm-hmm. which is just... <laughs> slavery. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think God is constantly trying to wrench that, that fear, like, don't care about them. Don't worry yeah. about them. Just worry about me. And so whenever I return to that again and again, like who is doing this? Mm-hmm. Who's in charge of this church? Who does this, who, this, this church rise and fall on? Cause it's not me and it's not my husband. And so whenever I remember that, there's always freedom there as well. Yeah. And he, he really had, God has been, he's done so many things that I can look at and say, we didn't do that. Like yeah. we couldn't have done that. That was entirely God. That's so good. Well, we've had a great conversation. I feel like I could talk with you forever, but I wanted to know, so we didn't talk about your books in the beginning when I introduced you. So we originally, I was supposed to like throw that off to you and totally forgot because <laughs> I want everyone to hear about it, but you know, the beginning of this setup was so crazy and then now we're here. So will you just do me a favor and close us out by telling us about your book or books, whichever you Mm -hmm. can tell me about both of them. And then also just mention how people can connect with you or your church on social media or internet or whatever. Yeah. So I've got two books. Uh, My first one is called Free of Me, Why Life is Better When It's Not About You. And it was the, I'm actually really thankful for the journey that led to that book before church planting because God just crucified. Like I died to myself in the journey of leading up to that book in ways that have served me just invaluably in mm-hmm. the process of church planting, but it, it was me reckoning with my own insecurity and how our culture deals with insecurity by basically saying, you just need to remember how great you are. <laughs> and I think that there is like a place for that where God restores the self. He builds up the self. He dignifies us and, and calls us beautiful and sings over us. But realizing that there's a second source of insecurity that we almost never address, which is self-preoccupation, and that when you make yourself the center of your story, you are the hero of your story, it raises the stakes extremely high. It makes everything about you. You know, when Mm. people mistreat you, you just automatically assume it's about you. And by addressing that insecurity by saying, if you just know how great you are, you're not correcting that unhealth, you're actually reinforcing it. And so I went through this journey of, of grappling with my self-preoccupation and all the ways that it was producing insecurity in me. And it was, that was probably, I can't imagine writing a book more important to me personally than that Mm -hmm. one, because it, it really set me, I don't wrestle with insecurity to the degree that I, I did like ever since that it was just such a defining experience of freedom. So that was Free of Me. And then Nice was kind of like a follow-up to something I wrote about briefly in Free of Me, where I, as a kid, was a really nice Christian girl. I was raised mm. in the church and was 
obedient and high achiever and rule follower and all of that. And back then I would have said that that was because of Jesus, but really it was also because it got me things like it was rewarding. And so I'd written just a paragraph about that in free of me, but then continued to return to it after the book came out because I realized I'd carried that into adulthood, but also into ministry Mm. and realized that I was a nice Christian woman who I talked about Jesus, but I avoided anything that I thought would be difficult or controversial or, you know, and, Mm. and not to say that was leading me to disobedience because Jesus talks about things that are difficult. Jesus Mm -hmm. talks about things that are controversial. And so in that book, I was really grappling with this nice Christianity that I think, especially in the South, we're sort of discipled into, which is very much about an appearance, but the reality underneath is a different story Mm. and how to cultivate true discipleship instead of just the appearance of it. So that's what those two books are about. Yeah, those are awesome. So they can get them on Amazon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. anywhere books are sold. Okay, and and your website for your church is? BrightCityChurch.com. And y'all are in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, Durham. Yeah, Durham. Raleigh, Durham. Yeah, people in Raleigh go to our church, but technically we're in Durham. Okay. And then you can find me on Instagram at Sharon H. Miller. And my personal website, which is kind of neglected, is <laughs> SheWorships.com. I had, there's so many things going on in my life that I have to yeah. say no. And blogging has been the no of this season. But you can find out more about me and my books at SheWorships.com. Yeah, I get it. I have let my website kind of go untouched for a little bit and I just started like fixing some things that are messed up on it and updating it and started blogging again too. So, you know, seasons, you got to say no Mm -hmm. to something. Yep, exactly. You know, whatever that no is. It happens to be a website sometimes and people send yep. you messages like this and isn't it's okay. working. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's okay. <laughs> well, anyway, well, awesome. I'm so glad that I had you on the podcast. Thank you so much for speaking into my audience and I know that they'll love you. Um, I can't wait to figure out when we might be going to Israel together. I know, me too. <laughs> I want to um, get there. I know. And it's going to be a woman's trip. So mm-hmm. that'll be fun. Like yep. me and you and some women. So yeah. Anyway, I'll let you guys know about that on social media. Thank you so much for being part of Overcoming Monday. Thanks we for hope that me. you're welcome. I hope that we've provided you with some little secrets for your big breakthrough. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation today with Sharon Miller. She's married to Ike, and together they lead Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina. She's also written a couple of books, and they're excellent Free of Me and Nice. Uh, You can check out her ministry at sheworships.com or brightcitychurch.com. Hey, take a minute this week and pray for our ministry. This podcast is a production of Clayton King Ministries, and we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and we exist to preach the gospel and make disciples, and we do that through your prayers and your financial partnership. So check out our website, claytonkingministries.com, and pray about supporting all that we do. We hope that we have given you some little secrets for your big breakthrough on Overcoming Monday.